The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with extending gains. Stocks kicking off with set to be a very busy week for Wall Street. In the green with the Dow doing something for the first time in six years. And gearing up for the busiest week of earnings season with more than 40% of the S&P on tap, we break down the names to watch coming up. And one week to go, investors bracing for what could be the costliest labor strike in a century between UPS and more than 300,000 union workers. Plus, kicking off a week-long special, taking a closer look outside the usual suspects in the equity market, while Morgan Stanley says Southeast Asia is the place to be. And then later in the show, record-breaking box office weekend as Barbenheimer surpasses all expectations. It is Monday, July the 24th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow riding a 10-day win streak. That's the longest since 2017. Taking a look at futures in the green across the board, it looks like the Dow would open up about 50 points higher. But again, as we always say, it is early. This is investors gear up for what's set to be a very busy week for Wall Street. On tap, it's the busiest week of second quarter earnings season. 40% of the Dow, 30% of the S&P 500 set to report. We're talking names like Boeing, Meta and Microsoft. We also get a trifecta of central bank decisions with the Fed kicking off things Wednesday before the ECB and the Bank of Japan. They pick things up to make their own decisions on rates. We're also one week away from what could be the costliest labor strike in at least 100 years with UPS and the Teamster negotiators heading back to the bargaining table tomorrow. We have much more on that coming up later in the show. Right now, we want to take a look at the bond market. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year it's been pretty much range-bound since that CPI decision, basically between 3.75 and 3.85 when we're talking yield. We're also seeing, again, that inverted yield curve as we continue to watch that. We're also looking at the energy market, a lot of movement there. Right now, we're seeing a bit of a pullback, at least when it comes to WTI in the recent rally. Still, we're seeing WTI up about 6 bucks a barrel in the month of July. This morning, fractionally lower, flat, basically. Brent crude, again, fractionally higher, flat, flat 81.09 a barrel. No, almost no movement in natural gas either, uh, just fractionally lower at this hour. There is one stock to watch, though. Chevron, the company offering a rare preview of its results overnight. Second quarter earnings coming in above estimates, though down a year ago at $6 billion. It's also announcing the retirement of its chief financial officer. We'll have much more on Chevron coming up this morning, including an exclusive one-on-one with CEO Mike Wirth. That's coming up at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank. Good Monday morning to you. Well, American Airlines is sweetening its labor contract for new pilots 
by more than $1 billion. That's matching a preliminary deal offered to pilots by rival United last week. And the new offer from American would bring the four-year offer's value to around $9 billion and match United pay rates, back pay, and other benefits. And in response, American's pilots union says it is indefinitely postponing ratification on the tentative contract while it reviews the new terms. Shares of AMC Entertainment are surging ahead of the open after a judge in Delaware Friday shot down a deal that would have allowed the company to dump more shares onto the market. In a statement, CEO Adam Aaron says the company has filed a revised petition for a stock conversion to address issues raised by the court. Aaron also emphasizing that raising capital is critical for the company's survival. And Elon Musk taking the next step in rebranding Twitter. Musk revealing plans to replace the social platform's iconic bird logo with a new yet-to-be-decided logo featuring an X. In announcing Twitter's rebrand, Musk wrote on the site that, quote, soon we shall bid adieu to the Twitter brand and gradually all the birds, Frank. I will miss the bird. Are you going to miss the birds? I am. I like the birds. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a big shift. Not really really sure what direction he's going. I think we're going to find out this week. We sure will. All right, (laughs) Silvana, we'll see you later on the show. All right, Frank. All right, back here on Wall Street, investors are gearing up for what's set to be the busiest week of earnings season. More than 150 companies in the S&P 500 and 12 Dow components all set to report. We're talking Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and ExxonMobil. The scorecard for earnings, well, it's been mixed so far, with EPS coming in nearly 8% lower than the same quarter a year ago and revenue dipping almost 1% compared to last year. At the same time, both EPS and revenue are beating expectations. That's according to data from Refinitiv. Joining me now to discuss is Scott Ladner, Chief Investment Officer at Horizon Investments. Scott, good morning. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Frank. Good morning. All right, so we got a lot going on this week. We have a Fed decision. We have a very busy earnings season. How do you see both of those uh, shaping this this week for the markets? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you set it up uh, really nicely. I mean, this is a pretty much the biggest week of the month. It's probably going to be the biggest week of the quarter um, as we come into it. But you know, the, the the Fed is most likely going to hike, and they're most likely done. Um, and, you know, I think the hike is probably the, the least important part of that. The, mm-hmm. Them being done part uh, is potentially very important because it probably signals uh, that we have seen peak rates. Um, and that combined with what we're going to get in earnings this week, especially from, as you were just mentioned, the mega cap tech names, uh, could mean that we've, that we've, you know, if we have seen the peak in rates, we've probably seen the lows and multiples. And we get to continue strong earnings out of these mega cap tech names. Um, that you know, could get the, you know, that could provide us the next leg. You know, Scott, you said that we're done with so much certainty. Fed officials continue to guide that there's going to be one more hike after July or at least two this year. It's not definite. It's going to be in July. Um, why are you so confident that this is going to be the last hike? And is that what's really powering this rally, the idea that the Fed is definitely done? Yeah, and that is definitely a big part of it, Frank. Um, look, we, we can't say with certainty that the Fed is going to be done. but And, and, and it's not in the Fed's best interest, by the way, to, to take away optionality from themselves. I mean, for them to come out and say we're done, it's not something that we're likely to hear. Um, what we'll probably see, though, is it come through the data. You know, continued strong data in the U.S. and continued disinflationary data. In the U.S., most importantly, okay. uh, is probably going to guide the Fed to say, hey, listen, we've done a lot already. We know we're very right. restrictive. Right. We can probably just hang out for a little bit and, and, uh, and, and let, the, you know, let it do its work. All right. So you seem to have a lot of confidence. So is recession off the table? Are you still telling your clients to prepare their portfolios for a possible recession? And if recession is off the table, how do you position? You know, we think recession is certainly off the table for the next 12 months. Um, and, and so, you know, you can never say it's off the table, you know, entirely. We did get COVID out of the blue, you know, so you can get some sort of external thing. 
Um, but outside of something, you know, some sort of externality, uh, you know, we, we think that, you know, there's probably a recession is very, very low right now. And we do think we need to be, you know, kind of adding into uh, adding into equities if you've been like, I mean, probably starting to dip your toe into the more the cyclical and small cap areas of the market as the as the market becomes comfortable. The recession is really nowhere in sight. OK. Uh, also, I know you're looking at consumer staples. They've been underperforming. Uh, what's your take on consumer staples with the idea that we are not going to see a recession? Yeah, look, I mean, staples are, are a place you want to be in when you want to hide out. Um, and so, you know, staples is something we've not favored for a little while here. Uh, but they are still very expensive because they've been pretty popular, a big, pretty popular place to hide out. Uh, but the combination of, you know, very expensive uh, multiples, you know, 20 times uh, forward earnings, plus some margin pressure uh, coming from the fact that they're losing pricing power. You know, as inflation comes down, they lose pricing power. Uh, so, you know, that combination is probably not a real rosy one for the staples outlook. All right, Scott Ladner, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Have a great day. A lot more to come up here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, a look at the state of freight ahead of what could be the costliest strike in a century. We're talking about UPS. We look at how investors should be preparing. Plus, China releasing even more measures to shore up its economy. But the street so far is not impressed. And then later, Adidas gets a surprise Yeezy windfall. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have green arrows to start the week here. Let's see how things are shaping up overseas. We have our Jamana Brissetti in our London newsroom with much more. Jamana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. A bit of a mixed bag over here in Europe. That The focus has been squarely on those PMI numbers. The flash numbers have come through for the, for the month of July. Disappointing on all metrics. In the UK, you can see the FTSE 100 is now dipping somewhat, down about five basis points. PMI manufacturing number back to where it was at the beginning of the pandemic, the weakest level since May 2020. Similar story as well for the DAX and Kekahont. Just to give you an idea, the, in Germany, the PMI now is back in contractionary territory for the first time since January. And then in France as well, PMI manufacturing the lowest numbers since COVID. So all of the states are very key going into the ECB on Thursday. IBEX also in focus with the Spanish general elections needing an inconclusive result. You can see the index is down about seven-tenths of a percent. In terms of corporates, though, we're looking at one name in the UK, that is Vodafone. The company is up 4.4 percent 
after uh, reporting 3.7% growth in the first quarter. So a good reaction so far. And the other name that we're watching very closely as well this morning uh, is the likes of Ryanair. And that uh, airline reported 663 million euros in profit after tax for the first three months ending June as average fares jumped 42%. But the Irish airline did lower their 2023 passenger growth projections due to expected delays in jet deliveries from Boeing. And it is that cautious outlook which has pulled down the entire sector. All of the airlines in Europe are now trading under the flat line, Frank. All right, Germana, thank you very much. Our Germana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom. Turning now to a developing story and the state of freight. We are just one week away from a potential strike by 340,000 Teamster workers at UPS. And what could be, according to research from AEG, the costliest labor strike in at least a century. The current estimate, more than $7 billion in just the first 10 days of a strike. UPS delivers roughly 22 million packages per day. And only a fraction of that can be delivered by rivals, FedEx, Amazon, and the U.S. Post Office, along with other companies that have entered the delivery space. The majority of that impact, $4 billion, expected to be felt by UPS customers like Amazon, Nike, and Macy's. However, according to researchers, the biggest impact would be to small businesses. Reports saying the strike would create, quote, significant and lasting harm for small businesses, household workers, sole practitioners, and online retailers all across the country. In recent days, the Teamsters have conducted practice pickets like these around the U.S. As UPS trains its non-union workers to keep operations going, if there is a strike, the UPS Teamsters contract expires one week from today on July 31st, with the two sides returning to the negotiating table on Tuesday. For investors, this all comes as Dow Transports trade very close to a 52-week high, rising more than 20 percent year-to-date. Joining me now to discuss how a possible strike could impact transports and logistics stocks is David Vernon, senior transportation analyst at Bernstein. David, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So let's just start off with just how do you see the odds? What do you think the chances are of an actual strike? We actually saw a development just yesterday with the Teamsters and another company called Yellow, where they had the opportunity. They could have struck if they wanted to, but they actually struck a deal to avoid a strike. Does that give us some insight into these UPS negotiations as well? I think the yellow situation is actually quite different from the UPS situation. Yellow has been a zombie company for a number of years. UPS is the largest employer of Teamsters, a tremendously successful relationship, and both the Teamsters and UPS uh, need each other kind of go to moving forward. So, I mean, where would you put the odds of a strike? Is it 50-50? We're, we have a week to go. They're coming back to the negotiating table today. It has been contentious, but in the latest statement, UPS did say they're willing to raise pay. Yeah, I think the odds of a strike are, are, are lower than 50 percent for sure. Um, I think what you have to be uh, cognizant of is the, the primary issue that's outstanding at the bargaining table right now is part-time wages. They've agreed on economics. They've agreed on work rule changes. They've agreed on pretty much everything else except for the starting pay progression for part-time workers. And the, for a strike to happen, the full-time Teamster drivers are going to want to have to go ahead and take off work and um, put themselves uh, at risk for the part-time drivers. And while the brotherhood around the union uh, leadership is, is, is very strong, um, we just don't think it's likely that full-time drivers are going to strike over a part-time issue. All right, very interesting. Again, they return to the negotiating table tomorrow. In the meantime, for investors, how should investors just view the situation, the possible disruption? Um, is this going to create a meaningful shift in the transports in the short term or the long term? Well, to the extent that there is a, a, a strike at UPS, it would be uh, a significant one-time impact. Um, the st stocks will all react, react pretty negatively around this. Um, you might see a little bit of a trade-up in FedEx, a little bit of a trade-down in UPS. It should be shorter-term in nature. I think the bigger um, uh, labor issue that's been moving the markets 
uh, for the last several weeks has been that yellow uh, threat of potential bankruptcy. Um, you've seen the the LTL freight sector, of which FedEx is one of those members. That that move up since uh, June on the chart you're seeing on the on the screen right now is largely as a result of concerns that that LTL. Uh, organization at Yellow, which is the largest market share company, is going to go out of business, is going to go into um, some type of restructuring. And that's just going to put a lot of freight in play for all the other LTL carriers. FedEx is the largest, ODFL, SIA, XPO, other companies like that as well. All right, so you just listed some names in the LTL space just for the viewers right now. LTL is trucking where you dip, put companies put different loads into the same truck as opposed to just um, purchasing a load, filling up a whole truck on its own. So when we're talking about LTL, what are some of your top picks in this space that might benefit not only from the yellow disruption, but possibly from a disruption at UPS? Well, I think you get both of those things in a stock like FedEx. Um, the LTL business at Yellow is a little different than some of the regional carriers that we talked about, like Asaya or, or ODFL for that matter. Uh, they have a lot of national LTL freight, so that's exactly right. Uh, putting pallets that are not enough to fill, fill up full, a full tractor uh, trailer rig um, into a, 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 a network. Um, that national network that at Yellow runs very long distance freight um, that matches up very well with the, the FedEx service footprint. So I would imagine they're going to pick up quite a bit of business from uh, the, the, the the business continuity risk um, at Yellow right now. So coming full circle, what does this mean for the story when it comes to UPS? UPS actually underperforming FedEx year to date. How does just this disruption um, impact the stock for the rest of the year? Well, I think the the, the, the next nearest um, uh, catalyst is going to be whether we get to a contract or not. Uh, they are returning to the table on Tuesday. Um, we are in the, the 11th hour. Uh, my guess is that we are going to come to some sort of a negotiated agreement, and then you'd see UPS actually claw back some of the relative underperformance of, of that started since sort of 1Q earnings um, on the news that we are not going to go into a strike. And then obviously we're going to have to sort through what the economic implications are of the new uh, teamster uh, contract. Um, we don't think it's going to be destabilizing to UPS economics. We do think that there is enough of a supply-demand imbalance going forward. Uh, the pricing is going to remain pretty robust for the small package carriers. Uh, and then you'll see, uh, I think, UPS kind of start to claw back some of that relative underperformance. All right. A lot to watch. We'll be uh, obviously keeping an eye on negotiations tomorrow. David Vernon, it's always great to see you. Thank you. Good to see you, Frank. And we continue our coverage of the potential strike impact. We are talking exclusively with the executive vice president of shipping company Pitney Bowes, Greg Zegras, tomorrow. That's tomorrow morning right here on Worldwide Exchange. And coming up on the show, thinking outside the box. We're kicking off a week-long special looking at areas outside of traditional U.S. equities. Why Morgan Stanley says Southeast Asia is now the place to be. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check of this morning's headlines outside of the world of business. NBC's Jessica Layton's in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. 
Frank, good morning. Hope you're having a great start to your week. Political turmoil in Israel. Hundreds of thousands of protesters marched on Jerusalem ahead of a key vote in parliament on a judicial overhaul that would allow Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to override Supreme Court decisions. In a rare show of internal dissent, hundreds of Israeli Air Force reservists now say they will not show up for duty. Netanyahu is insisting on today's vote. Despite his own health struggles, he's been admitted to the hospital twice in the last week. And this weekend, he announced that he had a pacemaker put in. The brutal heat wave is fueling a massive wildfire in Greece. Thousands of tourists were forced to evacuate on the island of Rhodes, where flames have been raging out of control. It was the largest evacuation effort in Europe. Crews now working around the clock to try to contain this disaster. And back here at home, another shot at a massive jackpot. The Mega Millions prize climbing to $820 million after nobody hit the jackpot on Friday. It is the fifth largest prize in the game's history, and you still have a lot of time to get your ticket, Frank. The next drawing is tomorrow night at 11 p.m. Eastern. Back to you. I definitely need to get my ticket, Jessica. Are you guys, do you guys have a pool over there at uh, 30 Rock? Because like, I want to jump in some different pools. I need as much exposure to this jackpot as I can get. We're all part of the NBC family, so you can come over here for free. <laughs> Jessica, thank you very much. All right, going back to the, uh, our special this week, the Barbenheimer effect. This thing's real, giving the summer box office and movie theaters a major boost. Warner Brothers Barbie, top of the competition, hauling in $155 million over the weekend. According to Comscore, that's the biggest debut of the year, topping even Mario Brothers, the film which stars Margot Robbie as the iconic doll, also bringing in $182 million internationally. The total there, $337 million. Universal Pictures says Oppenheimer made $80.5 million domestically and nearly $97 million internationally. It also made $35 million from IMAX screens, the biggest for a Christopher Nolan film. Together, it marks one of the biggest weekend box office hauls of all time. Let's talk much more about this with Alicia Reese from Wedbush Securities. Alicia, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. I think the first question is, did you go see the Barbie movie? And I saw both. You saw both? Did you see them together yeah. as a double feature? Okay. No, uh, I went on Friday to see Barbie and on Sunday to see Oppenheimer. I was about to say, because Oppenheimer is pretty long. I don't think I could sit in a movie it's theater long. that long. On a more serious note, I'm looking at the stocks of these movie theater companies right now. For example, Cinemark up mm-hmm. 1%. AMC has some different news, so it's an outlier. Yes, sure but, did. Yeah, looking at some of these stocks in the pre-market, they're moving higher. Is this a big turnaround for the movie business? Is this going to give investors confidence that the movie theaters, uh, th- theater business is officially back? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, I mean, it's one of the biggest uh, box office weekends that they've we've seen, certainly the biggest um, post-pandemic. So being able to show that um, people will go to the movies if the content is there, and that's that's really encouraging to a lot of investors who think that, um, you know, movie going is dying. So the fact that there wasn't a superhero anywhere involved in this huge box office weekend, what does that say about the future of the movie business? Because a lot of us were thinking for a while that blockbusters had to be tied to the IP of a comic book or some other big franchise. In this case, we do have Barbie, but it's not a comic book. It doesn't have that same level of IP. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, at at, uh, CinemaCon, which we go to every year, um, we get a kind of glimpse of what's coming up over the next year. And I'd say there's there's still a fair bit of of superhero fare, but less. Um, There's a lot more new IP um, that we found really interesting. You know, I think studios are really getting that people want fresh IP. They really want um, new titles. And I, I think especially this weekend, we saw a real shift. And, and I think a lot of investors might be interested in that 
people are actually willing to go see, um, you know, real thinky, thoughtful pieces like Oppenheimer. And there was a big period of time after the pandemic where everyone was just, it was escapism, 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 right. just get out and see something fantasy, but actually going to see something real and something getting this level of box office um, okay. on top of Barbie was really, you know, that's compelling. And so I think studios are are going to be hearing that loud and clear. And okay. so um, I tell you, it doesn't hit the box office for another two years, maybe, but okay. um, I think we'll see a big shift. All right. So you're mentioning the studios. Of course, we have a, a strike in Hollywood, the writers and the actors. Yeah. How does that impact your long term thesis when it comes to these movie theater stocks? And do you have a top pick? Yeah. So in near term, there's a risk. Um, if this goes on beyond Labor Day, there's a risk that, um, you know, the the actors won't be able to participate in the press junkets ahead of these movies. Now, the rest of this quarter, I think it's it's OK. It's not crucial. There are no big name titles um, that require the the actors to participate. But once we get into October ahead of the November releases, that's it gets really critical. And there has been some talk of, of um, you know, the studios pushing those if the actors can't participate in those press releases. So that's a potential Q4 issue. I don't think it's going to go that far. If it goes a month longer from now, that impacts, you know, Q2, Q3 next year, uh, and potentially into um, 2025. Okay. So, you know, we really need to see something resolve within the next month. And I do okay. think the studios are highly incentivized to, you know, resolve this as soon as possible. So with all that in mind, what's your top pick when it comes to the movie theater space? IMAX. IMAX really? is definitely our top pick. Yeah, you know, they they have, um, they got 26% of Oppenheimer on opening weekend worldwide, or domestically 20% worldwide. They have a growing footprint of IMAX screens. There's a lot of, you know, actual screen growth going on worldwide. And local language um, content is becoming more and more important in a lot of regions, particularly Japan, which is a very nascent market for them, very high per screen average in South Korea, India, and China's still growing quite a bit. So they have a lot of growth potential. Even Europe has, um, you know, pretty small market right. that they can grow pretty substantially. So, you know, there's a lot more growth there. And the name brand recognition with films like um, Oppenheimer, films that, incre you know, they're increasingly using uh, IMAX cameras and, and integrating marketing campaigns. So I do think they have a lot of growth left. And the share's been oversold. Um, recently, particularly on, you know, the Certainly strike and box office weakness. There. Alicia Reese, mm -hmm. great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange with the CEO. Some of the world's biggest chip companies are telling the White House amid its trade war with Beijing. We'll have that story for you coming back after this break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Markets gearing up to kick off an action-packed week with the busiest week of earnings season and several central bank rate decisions all on tap. Futures are working for gains ahead of the open. Chevron giving shareholders an early glimpse of its second quarter results, also announcing a C-suite shakeup. Pippa Stevens is standing by with the numbers and the stock reaction. And kicking off a new week-long summer stock Spotlight Spot Lot series, laying out investment ideas outside of U.S. equities as we look overseas for opportunities to make money. It is Monday, July the 24th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for watching Worldwide Exchange. Let's pick up a half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look at futures right now in the green across the board. The Dow actually rising slightly from just earlier this morning. 
We're also taking a look at the bond market. Yields on the 10-year benchmark, where we always began pretty much range-bound since that CPI decision, kind of stuck between, between 3.75 and 3.85. Again, inverted uh, yield curve, something we continue to watch. We're also looking at the energy sector right now. We always begin with WTI, that's the U.S. benchmark. Moving higher this morning, up three-quarters of a percent right now at 77.60, basically. Brent crude basically at 81.60, same story there. Natural gas also moving slightly higher in the pre-market as well. Let's stick with commodities for a minute. The price of wheat spiking once again today. This one worries around Russia's continued attacks on Ukraine's port infrastructure and the slowing flow of shipments from the Black Sea region could tighten global grain supplies. We're checking wheat prices this morning right now, taking a look up over Five and a half percent this month alone, up more than 13 percent. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Savannah now is here with those. Savannah, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. CME Group announcing it's reducing its headcount. The world's largest derivatives exchange says it's cutting about 100 positions or about 3 percent of its workforce. CME says it will reallocate some positions to new cloud-focused technology roles, though it is unclear just how many people would be moved. Leaders of the largest chip makers in the U.S. are apparently calling on the Biden administration to study the potential impact of restrictions on semiconductor exports to China. According to Bloomberg, during last week's meeting at the White House, Intel's Pat Gelsinger, NVIDIA's Jensen Huang, and Qualcomm's Cristiano Amon warned that the curbs could hurt the U.S.'s leadership in the chip industry. The report adds that Gelsinger warned that Intel's new plant in Ohio could be at risk if China's market is cut off. And Adidas is reportedly receiving more than a half a billion dollars worth of orders for the first batch of unsold shoes from Kanye West's Yeezy line. Now, this is according to the Financial Times, which says the $565 million in orders was better than the company's most optimistic forecast. The sale could help the sportswear company from having to take a big write down on the remaining stock, Frank. Yeah, it's kind of giving the stock a boost yeah. right now in the pre-market. Adidas actually outperforming Nike this year. It is, which yeah. is which I, I didn't expect that to happen, but there we are. Yeah, a lot of questions about yeah. Adidas after the whole Yeezy controversy. Exactly. exactly. The story will continue to watch. Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right, this morning, taking a look at shares of Chevron moving higher in the pre-market. The company giving shareholders an early look at its second quarter results, also announcing a leadership shakeup. Our Pippa Stevens is here with more, including comments from her discussion with CEO Mike Worth. Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Well, the oil giant is slated to release second quarter results this Friday. And so yesterday's announcements, which included highlights from the quarter, took Wall Street by surprise. Starting here with the numbers, the company posting a profit of $6 billion during Q2 ahead of analyst estimates. But that is more than 40 percent below last year's record after a decline in oil and gas prices. Still, CEO Mike Worth telling me it was another really strong quarter and that the company is built to be strong in any price environment. He added they can cover the dividend and capital spending at a price below 50 bucks and said that while prices are lower today than a year ago, they're still much higher than where Chevron starts to feel, quote, any real pain. Chevron's results were helped by record production in the Permian Basin, and the company returned a record $7.2 billion to shareholders during the quarter. It's part of the company's $75 billion buyback program announced earlier this year, which drew ire from the White House. Worth telling me that Chevron continues to be in contact with the administration, 
but that prices coming down has, quote, taken a little bit of pressure off of everybody. Chevron also said its CFO will retire next March and announced that it will waive the mandatory retirement age, Frank, for CEO Mike Worth. So, Pippa, Wall Street clearly not loving the group of energy stocks with just it's just one of three sectors that are in the red this year. Yeah, that's right, Frank. And I think generalist investors especially have really seemed to flee the space after energy outperformed for the last two years. And Mike Worth told me that he thinks investors are on the sidelines until the industry's newfound capital discipline is confirmed over a longer period of time, while also pointing to some investor concern around ESG issues. But he also said that the industry has a strong cash flow profile and offers attractive shareholders returns, saying, quote, I think over time you're going to find investors are going to recognize that proposition and come back to the sector. So, Frank, we shall see. All right. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. And be sure to catch CNBC's exclusive interview with Chevron CEO and Chairman Mike Worth. That's coming up at 9.30 a.m. Eastern today. All right, turning back to stocks, and today we're kicking off a new special taking a closer look outside the usual suspects in the equity market. All week we'll focus on areas that may be flying just a bit under your investment radar, including real estate, crypto, private equity, and more. But today it's all about frontier and emerging market stocks. Arabile Goumide joins me now from London with much more. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, Frank, we certainly don't do this very often, right? So we thought we'd take a look then at the BRICS nations in particular, those frontier markets, the emerging market space. And it's all on the back of Algeria having asked to join the BRICS nations. And South Africa then saying that actually Vladimir Putin, as per a Russian president, will not be coming through to the BRICS summit later this year on the back of, of course, the ICC having put out that request to arrest Vladimir Putin. So the BRICS nations certainly in key focus. This is pretty much what the currencies of these BRICS nations have done, akin to the dollar, of course, since that first Fed hike in March last year. Pretty much a lot of movements for the South African rand with a lot of weakness coming through there. Inflation, of course, still above the interest rate or the mark that the central bank would like on that front. But the Russian ruble is one to really look out for. More than 26% gained on that one on its own. And that does come off the back of some higher oil exports, which are still pushing through in to that market. What does that mean for the yield market, though? So this is the swing that we actually have seen. And if you take a look at that orange line, that's the one we're keenly focusing on. And that is Brazil's 10-year yield, which seems to have lost more than 9%, nearly 10% of, in fact. And that is just since that uh, uh, hike then by the Fed as well. A lot of movement here, a lot of variability, as you can tell as well. Perhaps then one could say there is some gains, however, when one takes a look at, look at India's 10-year yield. But of course, political uh, stagnation is still one issue to look out for when it comes to that market. So these markets certainly have a lot of room for growth, but you can see volatility is still the name of the game. Frank? Yeah, a lot to deal with there, you know, but investors are always looking for growth. Arabile, great reporting as always. Always great to see you. All right, let's dig in a little bit deeper and bring in Amy Oldenburg. She's the head of Emerging Markets Equity at Morgan Stanley Investment Management. Amy, good morning. Thank you for being here. Frank, great to see you. Thanks so much. All right. So Airbilly just set us up. Give us a general sense. Uh, if you're an investor looking to invest in emerging markets, is there something you need to pay attention to? Is it very similar to investing in the U.S. equities or is there a different thesis or a different approach you need to take? Sure. One of the things we've seen is a concentration that's formed over these years, similar to what we've seen in the U.S. market, 
where seven countries make up 80% of the EM index. And one of the challenges with that is that you have 50 markets that really are unheard of. And, and even what we've just heard, some of those under uh, underappreciated or undercovered cover and many of those where they're making course corrections now, there may be short-term pain, but there may be long-term opportunity going forward. I think as an example, it's one of the things that we've seen in Nigeria where they have a new president. Uh, he's making some very specific changes there. Uh, and long-term, this could be a turning point for Africa's largest economy. All right. So I actually want to go to some of the ATFs that you pointed us to and some of the charts you pointed us to. One of them is the EEM ETF. That's the MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, actually underperforming uh, the S&P so far this year. But you say there's a lot of opportunity. And the thing that you're pointing to is the country dispersion within this ETF. So we're going to show a chart of this country, country dispersion, highest level since about 2005. Explain why that's important for investors. Well, it's one of the things that's really come back and a focus on active management again. So this is a very significant dispersion number. The difference between the best and worst performing market is running at 88% now. And one of the things that's overshadowed emerging markets is the underperformance of China. So over the last year, China being the worst performing market down 17%, it's dragged that index down uh, to only performing 1.8% over the last year. But you have markets like Greece that are up over 70%. And it's not only just Greece, 16 of the last 24 countries, 16 of the 24 countries in the index are actually outperforming over that one year time period. So it's really an opportunity to take advantage and focus on some of the other markets outside of China. We're even seeing a rise of EMX China uh, products so people can focus on some of these and not be dragged down by that 30 percent weight that China makes up in the index. OK, you're also looking at Southeast Asia right now. What makes that area so attractive for investors in your mind? Sure. We're, we're looking at many of these markets where you have very large young populations that are fast growing. It's one of the areas of, of the world, too, where digitization is really making a significant change in terms of these populations. They don't have legacy infrastructure. They're able to leaf, leapfrog that uh, opportunity there. And, and we're really able to take advantage of this through the equity markets. So Southeast Asia, even Latin America, um, talking about Brazil, Mexico, these are some of the opportunities that we like in the emerging market space right now. Okay. You mentioned, you mentioned Mexico as well. Is that partly tied to some of the nearshoring that we're seeing? What's making that so attractive? Because, you know, while it isn't the U.S. economy, it's still in North America. It's part of so many trade agreements. So it's not something that I think of as a traditional emerging market. Sure. It's the nearshoring, friendshoring. Uh, there's a real opportunity there when we're looking at supply chains that clearly have been in real focus over the last couple of years with COVID, uh, with some of the trade agreements that, that you've even highlighted. Uh, we do think that that's one of the opportunities that we see in Mexico. All right. Look at the Mexico chart right now. Actually outperforming the U.S. right now, 26 percent year to date. Amy Oldenburg, great to have you here. We appreciate it. Great to see you. And our series continues tomorrow as we dive into the world of art, watches, cars, and other collectibles with our Robert Frank and the head of global luxury at Sotheby's. All right, coming up, a look at the morning's big upgrades and downgrades, including some fresh love for Netflix on the back of its quarterly results.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Baird upgrading Netflix's rating and its price target, moving it to outperform and $500 per share. The firm citing increased confidence in the company's execution thanks to its advertising and paid sharing initiatives and strengthening financial profile. Taking a look at shares of Netflix this morning, up a half a percent. Goldman Sachs and UBS initiating coverage of Savers Value Village. Goldman giving the company a buy rating and a price target of $28. UBS also giving a buy rating and a $29 price target. Taking a look at shares this morning, down 1%. Let's stick with UBS. It's downgrading its rating on Tesla from a buy to neutral, but raising its price target from $220 to $270 per share. UBS saying it sees limited upside risk because strong execution is already being fully reflected. Shares of Tesla this morning down more than 1%. And time now for your global briefing. We begin with China's economy facing new challenges and its recovery will be, quote, torturous. This according to state media citing the country's top decision-making body of its ruling Communist Party. The report adds leaders will roll out its macro adjustments in a calculated manner as the government sticks with a cautious monetary policy. Inconclusive election results in Spain throwing the country into political uncertainty with both the right and the left failing to secure a clear path to forming a government despite the opposition People's Party winning the most seats in Parliament. The deadlock leaves Spain's economy in limbo and opens the door to weeks or even months of negotiations over repeat elections, similar to those seen in 2015 and 2019. And Bain Capital says it has entered into an agreement to acquire 90% of Adani Capital and Adani Housing, a purchase that buys out all of the Adani family's private investments in the company. Adani CEO will retain the remaining 10% stake, and will continue to serve in the CEO position. All right, coming up, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus a critical week for investors with earnings and central banks set to be among the key drivers. We lay out the moves to make to make with your money coming up next. And then tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange, the co-CEO of Oak Tree Capital Management, Armin Panosian, he joins us with a look at the markets, including the action within private equity. That's at 5 a.m. Eastern. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up right after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with Reuters reporting American Airlines Pilots Union has postponed a vote on a tentative contract agreement indefinitely. This after American raised its four-year contract offer by $1 billion to right around $9 billion total. Chevron offering a preview of its second quarter results overnight. Earnings coming in above estimates, though down from a year ago. The company also announcing the retirement of its CFO. CEO Mike Wirth talks exclusively with CNBC Today at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Elon Musk taking the next step in rebranding Twitter, revealing plans to replace the social platform's iconic bird logo with a new yet-to-be-decided logo featuring an X. And shares of AMC Entertainment are surging ahead of the open. Its CEO saying the company has filed a revised petition for a stock conversion plan that would allow the company to issue more shares after Judge Friday blocked its first attempt to flood the market with new stock. Stellantis and Samsung SDI announcing plans to open a second joint venture plant in the U.S. to build electric vehicle batteries. The duo, the duo says the facility should begin production in 2027. And speaking of duos, the box office debuts of Barbie and Oppenheimer delivering a jolt to the lackluster summer box office. Barbie pulling in $155 million in its domestic debut, with Oppenheimer coming in second place with $80 million, marking the strongest domestic box office weekend of the year and the fourth largest box office weekend ever. All right, we're also getting ready for a wild week for Wall Street with three key potential catalysts for the markets. First, 
The busiest week of earnings season kicks off with more than 150 companies in the S&P 500 and 12 Dow components set to report. That includes Alphabet, Coca-Cola, Microsoft and Meta. We've also got three central bank decisions on tap. The Fed on Wednesday, the ECB on Thursday, the Bank of Japan on Friday. And we are just one week away from a possible UPS strike. With talks resuming tomorrow, it is estimated that the first 10 days of a potential strike could cost the economy approximately $7 billion. So a lot to watch there. A busy week ahead. Let's break it all down with Chris Morangi, co-CIO of Value and Portfolio Manager at Gamco Investors. Chris, thank you for being here. Great to be here. All right, so let's just start off. It seems like the market's really convinced that we're going to have a soft landing. Of course, we have the Fed decision coming up later this week. How do you view today? Uh, are you expecting volatility? We also have the NASDAQ rebalance, NASDAQ 100 rebalance. I haven't talked a lot about it today, but it seems to have influenced some of the investment decisions around the NASDAQ at least last week. It did have an impact on the NASDAQ last week. Expect that to settle down. We're always expecting volatility. Volatility can be an opportunity, and we like that. So uh, obviously big week for earnings. We'll be looking uh, at EPS trends, forward outlooks for some of the big media companies, big tech companies that are going to be reporting. All right. So you're here to talk all about today. With that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? My WEX word of the day today is small, which goes against what uh, we've just been talking about in terms big of the companies reporting. But it actually fits with your, with your broader theme of finding sectors that are a little bit off the run. Uh, we love emerging markets. We love Mexico. But you can stay closer to home and find emerging, market, emerging companies here that are benefiting from a lot of those same secular and cyclical dynamics. So small cap companies, small is beautiful. So when you're talking small caps, I know your company, you have your own, you're talking your own book a little bit. You have your own ETF you want to talk about. Give us the ticker. And when you invest in this, what are you getting? And why would you invest in this today ahead of that Fed decision? Well, what you're getting is, so we're talking about the Gabelli Small Cap Growth Fund. It's actually a mutual fund, uh, one of our oldest. Uh, and it, um, it's benefiting from a lot of these cyclical dynamics. We're talking about soft landing. Uh, if, if the economy is going to have a soft landing, many of these cyclical companies that have been beaten up recently are going to do better. Uh, and, you know, um, irrespective of what happens in, with inflation and rates, we're finding good companies run by good management at, at attractive valuations. We're finding a lot of those in the small cap area. Okay, so you're finding that in the small cap, but are you finding value there as well? Because, I mean, in all fairness, we look at some of the Magnificent Seven stocks, a lot of these mega cap tech stocks, they're also well-run companies with a lot of protection from recession and uh, cost of capital, they're not as cost of capital sensitive, where small caps tend to be more cost of capital sensitive. That, that, that's true, and, and I think the outperformance of the Magnificent Seven and some of the large cap stocks can be partly explained by the fact that they were viewed as safe havens, especially earlier part of this year as we went through the, the debt dynamics. Uh, so uh, that's created a huge gap, uh, one of the biggest gaps in, in decades between large and small cap stocks. Uh, you think, as we all know, large has kind of trounced small for a long time. We think that's beginning to shift. It's actually beginning to, begun to shift in July. Uh, the Russell 2000 is actually up almost two times what the S&P is in the month. All right, so you're just referencing our summer stock spotlight series, what we did today, which is emerging markets. So you mentioned Mexico. Uh, Me the Mexico ETF outperforming the S&P so far this year, up about 26%. Is that someplace you would put money into today? It is. We like some specific companies in Mexico, particularly Grupo Televisa, which is, uh, actually has a large U.S. business, but it's a media company in Mexico, as well as Grupo FEMSA, uh, which has uh, diversified uh, retail uh, and beverage business. Um, and, you know, they're going to benefit from money coming back to North America and, okay. uh, and into the Mexican economy. So give me, a, give me a sense of how another rate hike, but also a, a softer dollar. How does that impact this emerging market thesis you have? And give us one other emerging market that you put some money into very quickly. Yeah, so, you know, again, overwhelmed by some of the secular trends of, of reshoring. And in terms of emerging markets, um, you know, we, we like company, uh, 
countries that are particularly levered to the U.S. in this theme. There will be some other companies in, in uh, Latin America as well. All right. We're going to take that Mexico one. Also, small caps. You're talking your own book, but you're saying small caps in general. Good investment right now, even ahead of the Fed decision. Absolutely. All right. Chris Morangi, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you. Quick check of the futures right now. As we mentioned, we've been in the green all morning long. We've seen the Dow pretty much close to its highs of the morning. The Nasdaq and the S&P also moving higher. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.